0: Let's dive into today's topic. Hey, welcome back for another episode of the Human Resources for Small Business Podcast. I am your host, as always, Brandon Laws. Hey, today our guest is Joaquin Lippincott. He is the CEO of Metal Toad. And in this episode, Joaquin gives us some insight into a lot of the people practices in his business and in the overall tech industry. We dive into topics such as hiring entry-level jobs and how to career path them, developing employees, wages and benefits. We touch on wage compression and how that's an issue sometimes. Uh, We talk about his culture and so much more. And I just wanted to say, I appreciated how open and authentic Joaquin was in this episode. I really think you're going to enjoy getting kind of a fresh inside look at Metal Toad and what they're doing from a people practice standpoint. I really hope you enjoy this episode because I know I did. Hey, Joaquin, it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: So talk about your business a little bit. What types of employees are you often hiring in your business? Cuz I think I think the listeners would be interested to hear what what your experience has been like in your industry.
1: Yeah, so so the best way to summarize what we do is probably to describe us as a digital transformation agency. And that that sounds like a mouthful, but what what we're doing is we're helping companies become more digital and and that may be you know, web-based, it may be you know, cloud servers, uh, it, it may be really just even doing technology selections uh, for, for other things, for, for internal processes or ERPs. So in terms of the employees we hire, they are broadly tech employees, but the areas of expertise vary from very specific expertise around you know, certain technologies or it could be somebody who's a project manager. Uh, It could be somebody who's a QA person. Um, And then we have folks that are involved in finance and operations. And so it does run the gamut in terms of we're about 50 people. So so we have quite a few folks that are doing non-technical jobs in support of, of our tech folks. But our offering for, for our customers. The reason they come to us is is expertise around technology.
0: And because the positions vary greatly, and it, I'm sure levels of experience and just technical expertise, they, it varies greatly position to position. Have you mm-hmm. had challenges finding really experienced and technical people with very specific roles, just in return to recruit them and bring them into your organization?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think, Part of that is because we have high standards mm-hmm. uh, and because we are a, a values-driven organization. That is to say, we have come to understand that it's not enough for people to have the the technical expertise and and whether that, that is, you know, a technology or, you know, specific uh, experience around project management or, or what have you, but really being aligned with the company values is critically important. And so we will pass on people that might, you know, be able to fulfill all the obligations of the job if they're not aligned with the culture. Uh, so that that certainly does add a wrinkle. That said, we invest a lot in our employees and, and try to create a really amazing environment to work for. So we, we have a great reputation in the community as a, as a place to work, but but that certainly is a flywheel and that, that reputation has been developed over time and we have really created a, a, a better and better environment and we're not done. You know, of course, we're going to continue on that.
0: When you're when you're bringing in people to the organization, do you find that with especially those technical positions that they're often very expensive? Uh, like people are really looking for a high wage that maybe you're not able to match. So it, then it becomes alignment of culture and values, and, and hoping that they more align with your values and they're willing to take less pay. How does that? How does that work in the tech industry?
1: I, I think there is a quantifiable Number for for having a great culture. We, we have a lot of benefits, but it's not just the benefits. People like working with great people. Uh, they like working in places where they're going to feel mm-hmm. like they have autonomy. They're going to they, they like working places where they know that they're making a difference. And so, you know, from from our perspective, this, there are certainly people that are out of, you know, salaries is one of those places where it's like that that does need to be aligned. But in general, I think that if we were a larger sort of faceless corporation, uh, we would have to pay higher salaries um, than we do, uh, because people understand that there is a cost to investing in growth and to autonomy. And so that does affect our bottom line. It does affect what we can pay, but it also creates an environment where where it is safe to take chances. And we encourage people to to pursue things that they're interested in that may they they need to develop some skills in, and so yes, I would say in general tech workers are expensive, especially when you compare them to other industries. Um, but a, a a lot of that really allows us to to create that that latitude because you know we're we're not ultra focused on margins and we're not working with minimum wage employees or or a, a product yeah. that is you know ninety nine cents and that that would be really tough. So the the short answer is yes, they're expensive. But there's also a lot of give and take there. And and people that are attracted to work at our company are actually looking for growth and, and development more than maximizing their salary today.
0: And I'm sure those people that are really expensive are the ones that are just like later on in the careers very experienced senior level people, but what's the balance of like you bringing in those types of people versus maybe junior or you know junior developers or junior tech focused people and just really growing them what's the kind of the ratio or balance that you have in your organization
1: well you you'd be surprised to say that it is only the junior folks that are interested in growth is is actually that's not where people are at there. There are a number of people who are worth of experience, but they're feeling stuck where they're at. And so they could continue forward and, and be working on say technologies that they're feeling are end of life or, or dead end. Mm. And there's plenty of money to be made there. Um, but, you know, in terms of, you know, old, old trajectory, it, it often makes sense to, to invest in growth. And in particular in technologies, you know, somebody with, 10 years of experience today, if they're not constantly looking for what is the new technology, they're going to be on technologies that are 10 years old. And so I, I don't think it's so much a junior versus senior um, as much as it is a mindset around being, you know, one of those, you know, to, to borrow a phrase, being a, a, a constant learner, a student forever those are the people that that are really attracted to the metal toad culture. And frankly, Metal Toad is attracted to those people because that that's core in our values. Curiosity is one of our our dearest values.
0: And that's yeah, and that's an interesting distinction because I think most people would think like, oh, levels of experience and you're gonna bring in somebody with a, a certain level of experience. But you're you're thinking okay, let's bring in people who are just really growth mindset oriented because that's what our culture is all about. Mm -hmm. And we're going to allow, we're going to give them uh, an opportunity to to continue to grow, whether it doesn't matter where they're at in the life cycle of their career, but they come in at a senior level, they're still going to grow. They're still going to be challenged, still going to grow. How do you make sure that your culture, that you're always giving them opportunities to be challenged regardless of what level they're at?
1: career pathing is incredibly important you know um, providing opportunities for mentoring other people uh, is incredibly important creating opportunities for people to move into uh, and, and invest in their managerial skills is uh, is 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 also part and parcel we have also a development fund in terms of a career development fund so people have money uh, that is given to them that they have latitude to invest really anywhere and that might be conferences that might be you know online tutorials that might be you know what what have you but but they have the autonomy to basically spend that money uh in in places that they are interested in growing and so all of those all of those investments in terms of building that infrastructure i think is incredibly important and then just talking to people about really what are your goals and and there are people that that have really great experience and, and are masters of, of a particular facet of a technology but you get into a place where maybe they want to you know work on their managerial skills or maybe they want to pivot to another technology and having a culture that that supports people being able to take those chances and, and not even take those chances because people who are constant learners and people who are really interested in investing in themselves they're going to succeed but it takes time and it takes, uh, you know, a, a, a culture that is supportive of that. that. Absolutely. I,
0: I love that idea of giving people uh, a bucket of money to spend on development, development, cause they're going to really own it. I think that's probably I mean, what you've experienced. Like yeah. <laughs> well, do you mind disclosing how much you, uh, you allow people to spend on their development?
1: You know, I, I would tell you if I knew, and that, that <laughs> sounds a little strange being the CEO of the company, but um, that that is really uh, you know our director of employee experience. Mm-hmm. She's the one who manages that with our Director of finance. and what I've done is I've set overarching goals in terms of what the margin of the company should be, and those expenditures then fit within that overall margin. And it really is their latitude not only to, uh, figure out what that budget per employee is, but also, you know, all the nuance of do you give it to everybody all at once, yeah. staggered. Um, and and so I actually don't know the answers to that, that's okay. uh, but that, I, I guess that's also um, a hopefully testimony to the autonomy that does exist in the business um, and that the people who are responsible for really creating an amazing employee experience, are the ones who are empowered to make that decision, and the folks who are in charge of being the stewards of our of our margin and making sure that everything comes together and and we have uh, you know something that works out in the end of the day in terms of profit and revenue. Um, that that is what they focus
0: on. Yeah, I know if I was on the receiving end of, of something like that where my CEO is giving me a bucket of money to spend on development, I I'm taking ownership of it, right? I'm yeah. going to actually I'm going to use that money wisely and I'm going to yeah. try to try to work with my my manager to probably develop goals around like okay, what's actually needed for later success in the role versus like, you know, I think some people would probably just use that money and say, okay, I'm going to spend it over here, but maybe that's not necessarily tied to what the business needs. How do you how do you balance that? Do you do you have employees work with the managers to set goals around development? Like or is it truly just the employee gets to spend it however they want?
1: You know, we we hire people that make good decisions. Mm. You know, and and it's important, I think, to to work on that trust. And certainly if somebody was was spending it in a in an inappropriate way, that would be something that would that would provoke a conversation. But we are not proponents of creating a culture um, that manages to the lowest common denominator. Yeah. So if just because one person would abuse it, and you know the rest of the people are are doing amazing things with it, what do you do? Do you put in a, a process that says nobody is allowed to have this autonomy? Everything needs to be approved. And for a lot of companies, the answer is yes. That's exactly what you do. You prevent the 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 leakage. But that that's not the way that we operate and and that i don't think is the way that you get to autonomy and trust and unfortunately that is something that larger corporations have often fall victim to i don't think that's necessarily an aspect of being larger you know we we plan on growing you know until we are a large corporation However, maintaining that core and maintaining that, that autonomy and continuing to hire people that are going to manage those things appropriately, that's incredibly important. You can't, uh, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day Mm -hmm. uh, and, and yet it's so easy to erode that trust. All it takes is, you know, one, you know, CEO coming in and saying, okay, everybody, no, nobody gets this, this freedom. And, um, that can be crushing to to employees. For example, you know, an, an, another aspect of things, you know, we have a we have a foosball table and we have a stand up arcade and we have a, a kegerator in the office, right? Should people be drinking beer at nine a.m. on <laughs> weekday? Probably not, right? You know, just you know that that kind of goes without saying. Um, should people be getting their work done and not spending all their time on a stand up arcade or a foosball table? You know, absolutely. But if you trust your employees to, to act like adults and you hire people who act like adults, then then that's okay. And it's it's not that the kegerator or the foosball table or the, uh, the stand-up arcade is the culture. And I think a lot of companies make that mistake. They think like, oh, you know, all we have to do is get a foosball table and then it's fun. But it's a matter of... Do companies create an environment where employees feel safe enough to actually go and play foosball in the middle of the day? And all I would have to do is walk through the halls and shake my head, and you know, mm-hmm. and let those folks see that that I am I'm judging them. I guarantee that foosball table would be vacant, mm-hmm. right? And, I, and I've been through companies where where they give me the tour and I see the ping pong table, and it's it's covered in dust. <laughs> <laughs> They've got it, but you know, they're not creating that environment where where people feel safe to do that kind of thing. And frankly, as the CEO of the company, what matters more is that somebody's playing foosball or that they're getting their job done. And if if for whatever reason we've we've got an environment where we're hitting all of our numbers in terms of revenue and profit, and somebody can play foosball forty hours a week, you know, it that then then great they're they're getting it done and we need to be paying attention not to the you know what should be a mom and pop metric of of butts and seats but actual productivity and um you know really it's incumbent on on the rest of the company to make sure that we've got the ribbon we've got the the projects that are really engaging people and you know and making good use of their time but it's it's not the foosball table, and it's not people playing on the foosball table that is going to uh, hurt your margin. And I think that's a that's a small game for for people who play operations in that way.
0: I love that distinction because if, for one, you're trusting your people. Like, go play foosball if you want to. Go have a, have a beer during the workday if you want. Because the results do end up speaking for themselves over time. The results will show, and if they're if they're poor results. I'm sure employees will have to make an adjustment and that yeah. could mean leaving the company and they're just not a good fit, but I'm sure people will make quick adjustments based on hey, I either got great results or I'm lacking. And have you really seen people make adjustments based on that? Just just work habits?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And 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 there are times, you know, when we have more work and there are times when we have less work, right? And yeah. when people are it, it it's it's funny, but I think that people probably play games more when they're working hard and really driving um, because they're going to be there for, for a while. And so they're, they're taking care of what they need to take care of They're they're blowing off steam. Um, and, and that's okay. Um, it's, it's one of those things where you, you've got to be looking at metrics uh, that, that are actually aligned with the business interest and, and telling somebody to sit in their, in their seat you know, or, or you know, whether that's spoken or not is going to result in people sitting in their seats, right? It's, yep. it's not necessarily going to involve them doing more work. You know, they might be surfing the web or, or doing something else, but it's it's better not to be doing that surreptitiously. You know, one of the other things that we encourage, you know, along that same mindset of, of growth is I want people to be updating their LinkedIn profile, you know, when they uh, are adding a new great Brand name client. I mean, why shouldn't they? Right? Why, why shouldn't? Why should it be a strange thing for somebody to continue to develop their personal professional brand? And I don't see why that needs to be something that is incongruent with. That does not mean that somebody is not aligned with the company that they're at. They can just be proud of their work and and be wanting to develop how people are are perceiving them online. And one of the things we found, I've actually had recruiters come up to me. And it's, it, it's a, a little bit of an awkward conversation from, from their standpoint. They've come up and they've, they found out that, that I work at Metal Toad and I'm the CEO. And then they come over and they say, what are you guys doing over there? And, um, and I'll say, well, what do you mean? He said, well, this is a little awkward, but I've tried recruiting like 10 of your people and they won't even oh. return my calls. <laughs> um, and so and, and they're like, you know, people always at least take the call. Um, but, but they don't do that. And, you know, I say, well, you know, we, we encourage people to be updating their, their LinkedIn profile and and really making themselves known as, uh, leaders in the industry. And, you know, when you do that, people don't take the calls because they're just tired of getting them. And they, they don't need to take the calls because they know they're going to get another one next week and the week after. And when you, when you, allow people to build their personal professional brand one it's good for the individual and it's just the ethically right thing to do but it's also good for the company because people know that the company is staffed not by you know people who are not leaders in the industry but but people that they would they would want to hire and that's great for recruiting Uh, it's great for you know uh, companies that we're working with knowing that they're really dealing with amazing individuals. And and so I don't think those things are incongruous. I think that it's important to build a company where people don't leave yeah. not because they're afraid but because they know that there's always more opportunity around the bend. And 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 frankly, that's where people do depart. I I we are a growth company because the people that we're attracting are growth individuals. And so our company is is basically in a foot race with the most talented employees that we have to grow our business fast enough that we're providing those employees, you know, a a better platform. Um, But it's also, you know, a a matter of making sure that that we're growing or those employees are going to go elsewhere because they need the opportunity.
0: I'm so glad you brought up the personal brand because I, I I talk about this on the podcast quite a bit. And actually internally at Zenium, I try to talk about it a lot. Like, hey, look, we are this this overarching brand and we have a bunch of smart, capable people. Let's highlight each of those people, humanize the brand a lot more. And our clients want to connect with us. They want to know that there's a real person on the other side of that. I don't yeah. think it could hurt the business and i think as as an individual they're they're going to be more excited about the work that they're doing cuz they get to showcase it online and we're all everything's so interconnected with technology now and social media it can't hurt it can't hurt and i'm glad that you open up the doors for your employees to do that
1: yeah well it, you know in the short term it might if if you've been if a company has been sort of stifling that type of growth i would imagine there were there would probably be You know, a few people that would get out there and and there might be a small exodus. But ultimately, those are people that aren't happy with with where they're at. And if you have people that aren't happy, it's much better to to empower them and, and get them into a place where they are happy and they are performing both for themselves, but also for your company. Because once you do that, you open up a spot, you know, where somebody can come in and and really come in because they're passionate not just about the work, but about the opportunity that exists at the company. You know, I, I think that blogging is a is a is a critical part of building both a company brand and also the personal professional brand. So I really do encourage all of our employees to blog, and that's a tough one. You know, it, it it's one of those things where a lot of people say they want to be thought leaders but when it comes to you know are they going to blog or are they going to write another line of code or are they going to you know close another ticket they're going to opt towards the things that they that they do and that they're comfortable with um, just just because it it's comfortable and and blogging if you've never done it before it's hard and it takes a lot of time and you want to build this you know masterpiece of a of a blog that everybody's going to love I tell everybody the most important part of blogging is pushing the publish button and pushing it as as often as you can. And and I don't care if it's a paragraph, the first one you publish. Mm -hmm. But if you you publish a series of blogs that – if you publish one blog a day for a month, those could be terrible quality blogs. But that would be so much better than thinking and thinking and thinking and writing for a month to create one blog. Because it's that that act of publishing yeah. that really gets you to to a, a level of comfort. And and frankly, I, I always challenge people that are worried about how how they're going to be judged on the internet. I say, well, you've read my first blog, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, no. <laughs> I'm like, exactly. And I, I can tell you exactly what it was. It was on paper prototypes. And it is like has nothing to do with anything that I do today. And nobody ever reads it. But it, it's out there, but what people don't understand is it's only content that you know it, it might be one in a hundred that catches fire um and and maybe not even that and and so you can publish on the internet worry free right and and I'm talking about even like don't let anything be a blocker grammar um word choice you know a, a topic because it's also gonna take a while and, and not just a while, but it's gonna take many, many blog posts before you will find your your personal professional brand and that voice. And there's no substitute to to just doing it.
0: How are you getting your employees to do this? Is it just like, you know, practice what you preach and, and you know, lead by example, or are you really actually talking to them about like, Hey, you should be blogging, or you should be doing video or doing something just so they can bring bring out that, that human element to the work that they're doing? externally. Well,
1: yeah, no, it, it's a combination of those things, right? Because w- when you talk about it in abstract and you say like, hey, everybody should be blogging. more, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to get one person saying, "No, I I I don't think I should be blogging." But but the devil really is in the details and and really to get people blogging that haven't blogged before, you have to gamify it, you know, or You know, we've we've done things in the past where we've created like the blog Thunderdome, you know, where where, (laughs) it actually makes no sense if you've actually seen Mad Max because you're you're not doing a, a head to head blogging contest. But but basically everybody's name was was written down and nobody got off the list and, and they couldn't cross off their name until they had actually published a blog post and so it was this combination of peer pressure and timing because you had a certain window you know to, to get across the finish line and and those things those those frameworks where it's like you have to do this and it's just a requirement and and here's the ticking clock and here's your name for everybody to see those are sometimes the the, the Sometimes the level you need to go to, to actually get folks past that, that point of, of inertia, but, but then, you know, people start building it and, and, and and certain employees are, are better about continuing that. But I think that you, you do need to go a step beyond, you know, you can't just say everyone has permission to blog and I want everybody to blog because they're all going to say, great and then they're going to continue doing their day-to-day work.
0: Exactly. They're probably going to be like, well, I, I'm busy. I, I, can't, I don't have time for this. Cause they, maybe they don't see the value in it necessarily, or maybe they understand what the value could be, but it takes time to your point. No, it's no, no, it's, it's hard. hard.
1: It's like saying everybody now has permission to, to learn a musical instrument. Yeah. How many people are actually going to do that? And and it's not that anybody says, I, I, I imagine almost everybody in the world has some musical instrument that they would love to play. And and even if work said, you now have time to learn a musical instrument, people would say, wow, that's great. You know, love being here, love that there's support for learning to play a musical instrument. And probably 10% would actually take that time because it's hard.
0: I imagine like, it's just based on our discussion, you've built quite a culture. People probably don't leave, do they? What's the tenure like at your company? <laughs>
1: You you know, it's not as good as Zenium because you know, you you guys are amazing. It's like 20 year, 10
0: 10 Yeah, years yeah. <laughs> a lot of people were in the 10, 20 year range. I'm actually uh, this month will be nine for me.
1: Yeah. Um that's amazing. No, I, I mean our industry is drastically different. Yeah. You have technologies changing all the time and, and frankly, as a growth company, we we grow and there are things that change with growth and and specializations that that need to occur and you know swim lanes that that uh crop up that that didn't exist before so our our tenure certainly has gotten better over time uh our longest employee has been with us for about eight and a half years maybe a little bit more he's rounding nine years our uh, vp of technology has been with us for six and a half years um, but those are certainly the outliers. And then we have, you know, folks that are, you know, four year veterans Our our leadership team is relatively new. Um, uh, most of the folks there, we have some people have been with us for three years, um, but some for like year and a half, two years, but, but it's one of those things where, you know, for our industry, I would say it's pretty darn good. And yeah. for me that that's growing and, and changing as radically as we are, it's pretty darn good the, 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 other piece of that is really making it okay for people to depart you know anytime we lose somebody um because there's a misalignment with with you know we're transitioning to a different technology or or we're transitioning to to something else that's okay it's okay for people to want something different in their career you know and and we've had employees have who have left and come back that's
0: that's when you know you have a good culture
1: yeah yeah no it's it's um that, that the concept of a of a boomerang employee mm-hmm. is is pretty interesting. It's it's one of those things though, where also every time that there's an employee that leaves, that's a that's a little note for us in the leadership to say, okay, well, why did that happen? If it was because they're looking to develop their career and the opportunity wasn't at Metal Toad, that's a miss for us, right? Because Again, we're in that foot race to create the opportunities for the most talented folks at Metaltoad, and so you know it—it it, it certainly happens. But as a company, we should be learning from those departures, and, and we really do try to, to as much as possible, make the departures really good. When 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 people leave at their own accord, we throw a little party, we give them a parting gift, we refer to people who have worked at Metaltoad as alumni, not ex-employees. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, culturally, we, we see when we do our extracurricular activities, I mean, we had a pumpkin carving contest. <laughs> there, there are a number of former employees who come for the extracurricular activities. And and that's a, a really good sign, I, I think, of uh, a company culture that's healthy and, and frankly, amazing people, right? And if you've got people coming back and we do. We, we see, you know, uh, alumni around the office quite a bit. You know, some of them have, you know, started consulting gigs and they consult for us. But but that those great relationships, uh, I, I think, are also really, really important.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a great strategy because, you know, people talk when they leave. Mm-hmm. and if you if you don't leave them with that great impression of like maybe wanting to come back and, and allowing them to do so you know they're going to rip you apart to the friends and family and then that word just travels so i think you're taking the absolute right approach uh, just by making sure that the exit goes well and if they come back they come back that's great yeah so you mentioned like at zenium we have we have people that have been here 20 15 10 you know 10 years In the tech industry, it's a little different, right? Like you have people that probably jump year to year and it's very ultra competitive and people wanting more money. Do you ever hire people like at an entry level job and then really grow them up to, you know, senior, senior level folks? Because that's what we have that in our industry quite a bit. Just professional services is probably a little easier to do that in your industry. Are you doing that?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Case in point. We, we you know, our, our VP of technology, he started as a developer, you know, and he had experience externally, you know, being a consultant, you know, running your own business, which I think is is really important. You know, we do have uh, also um, some some standards in terms of, you know, when people are moving into, let's say, a vice president role – um, we like them to be cross-trained across a number of departments. So our, our department heads are, are directors. That's the level. Um, we have a managerial um, group underneath that. So you know, for the manager, the the key thing is to really be moving into a space where they're comfortable managing people and developing those career relationships and 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 really investing in their their reports, their direct reports as a service provider right they they are there to get there the people who are are working you know quote unquote for them they they should be serving them and bringing them value and those those people should be excited about their weekly one-on-ones that they have with their boss and that that's a that's a dimension and then when you get into the director level role it's about really owning a department and really bringing a lot of mastery and, and great experience to a department, whether that department is finance or HR or, you know, uh, cloud or, you know, client services, like all of those things are really important or, or project management. They should be not only managing people, but, you know, managing managers and also really bringing best practices to their area of expertise and then when somebody is moving into the vice presidential role and we we have uh, at least one person from the director track that that is on track for this they need to pivot away from their area of expertise that department and and cross train across another department because really the vice presidential role is about interconnectivity mm-hmm. between departments you know because that that department head is going to Really, be focused on, let's say, finance or creative or whatever those things are, and it is in the bridging of those different departments and managing that interconnectivity and and that interconnection that that's really what the the vice presidents do do at our company. And it, you know, and that and that's just you know, ultimately, I would love to see a career path where an intern can become the CEO of yeah. the company. Right. And yet I, you know, just to, you know, set the bar, I've been doing this for 18 years professionally. I started Metal Toad 14 years ago. So, you know, that's that's the bar currently. Right. You know, so if somebody <laughs> has been, they want to put in 18 years, then heck, yeah, they should be able to be the CEO of Metal Toad today as we continue to grow. And as the company continues to evolve, maybe that bar changes you know, ultimately, maybe I get out, outperformed by the company, and I'm no longer qualified to be the CEO. That's certainly possible. And I, and I think that's a really important uh, inflection point. You know, I, I'm I'm both an owner, and I'm the CEO, and those are different roles. And as the company grows, there may, there is going to be some need for diversification and ownership. And, and there's going to be a higher and higher bar for what is required of the CEO of the company. And so, I need to be working on, you know, perfecting my game, getting business coaching and, and developing my skill set. And I, I can tell you, if you go back, you know, even just three, four years, I was a very different person professionally. Um, you know, I look back at that and I, I sort of shake my head at all of the bad decisions or bad leadership that that I brought to bear. And yet, Metal Toad as a company is supported of of my growth as well and so you know it's 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 a it's a different world it's it's sometimes hard for people to fathom how rapidly we are iterating and, and growing and changing but frankly that's one of the things that that's so exciting and and as far as how that dovetails with our industry man this this industry has changed dramatically oh, yeah. over I mean, just the past year or past couple of years. And so it's it's really exciting. That, that's one of the things that gets me out of bed every morning. And, and I have always loved about working in this industry is that all of the change and, and you know, for us and for the people that are that are working at our company, that's really exciting. For some people, it's not the right fit. You know, it would be maddening to have to to you know, revisit your skills every six months or every year, you know, but I think I'd be bored if, if it weren't that way.
0: I'm glad you brought up the fact that, that your industry is just so rapidly changing. And I, I really wanted to ask you one thing about just about wages in general. Yeah. Um, So when you have somebody that's maybe grown up through the the company and then you, let's say you have one person that's grown up through the company, they've they've been there for a while, they're in like, you know, a development type role. And then now you have to hire the same position, but externally. Have you ever ran across wage compression issues just because your industry is so rapidly changing just in terms of, you know, technology, wages, all those things because it's ultra competitive? What
1: have you experienced? Oh, yeah. Well, just to, to kind of put it in perspective, we've probably for programmers, we've seen 40 percent increase in salary over the past four wow. years. Wow. Wow. So that that is dramatic. And and so one of the things that as we've grown as as we've evolved that has been really, really critical to getting to a place where, um, you know, ethically we're doing the right thing is creating brackets for wages. That's one of the things that our director of employee experience has done. And it's critically important. You know, it's critically important for making sure that you, you don't have people who were, you know, hired and have developed their skills and are sort of languishing because they're they're not going out there and not interviewing. Um, it's critical. So you don't bring somebody in and 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 pay them drastically higher wage. And so yeah. that that can be a sticking point. But if you have brackets and you say this is the low end. And this is the high end. The other thing that that also really ensures is that um, we're we're taking the danger of gender bias out there. Yeah. And, you know, while women may not advocate for for salaries as much as men, I mean, I'm I'm gonna go out there on a limb and and, and make some broad sweeping generalizations, <laughs> but men tend to overestimate their skills, and and women tend to underestimate them. And so what that ends up with is you know, women not asking for the wage increase and men asking for the wage increase. And if you operate in a company where you simply respond to what people are asking for, you you end up with inequity. And so those brackets help keep the company on track. They help, you know, ratchet back some of the ambition from some of the, the male employees and help push some of the women forward in terms of making sure that they're not being left behind. And and those brackets also should have in them you know, a scale for okay, how many years? Because just because somebody is a senior developer, right? You 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 have different scales of senior developer, and 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 the best analog for that is years of expertise. So that's critically important, and and especially especially when you're seeing dramatic wage increases. And and as a plug for Xenium, we have really leaned into Zenium heavily uh, for those salary reviews. Uh, to help inform what those brackets are for us, um, and you know that's that's not a one and it's done when you've got that kind of wage growth. I have seen in the Portland market. I think there is a tapering off. There there was a huge burst of outside investment uh, from San Francisco and Seattle, and that that has. Uh, dwindled. There's been a reduction in the amount of uh, tech startups in Portland, in part because um, I think there, there was a mismatch in, in culture for people coming in from mm-hmm. Silicon Valley. You know, they were thinking once they hit six-figure salaries, they, they basically owned people's soul. And yet the the zeitgeist in Portland is people move here because they they want work-life balance, right? They, they're tired of an 80-hour uh, grind of, you know, just, you know, trying to get it done in the rat race that you may find in some of the larger metros. I happen to think that it's okay to have work-life balance. You know, you you can have some incredibly productive works where you're working, you know, 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week or what have you. And, and, and for me, my experience in terms of working, it's not a matter of number of hours work, but there are You know, it's I I could have a week where I work 35 hours and I hate it, you know, and I can have a week where I work 55 hours and I love it. And so it's important for me that we're getting to a place where people are loving what they do. And yet they're also getting home to see their their family, their their spouses, their children, their pets. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's been an interesting dynamic in particular over the past five years, watching that rapid wage increase. Yeah. And now, sort of that little bit of a crash or a hangover, um, which certainly is okay um, from from an employer standpoint. But you, whatever the market will bear, we're going to keep pace with that.
0: And what's nice is that you you, you mentioned you're going to keep looking at it on a regular basis because it, it will change. You mentioned tapering off. What is that? What is that going to do? Is it yeah. going to mean a lack of supply of of talent? Is it going to mean maybe wages just? kind of stay steady for a little bit? What, what impact is it going to have on the way you uh, go to business?
1: Well, um, you know, the market's going to tell me that that's not, <laughs> Yeah. I, I wish I could decide that so that we could sort of, you know, fix what the, what, you know, what we're charging and fix what we're paying and have a, you know, a, a, a guaranteed margin. Um, I, I think importantly, big picture for us. We are focused on, you know, our goal is to get to a 15% margin, mm-hmm. uh, on, on some quarters, good quarters, that's going to be higher than that. On some quarters, it's going to be less. I think that anything more than that, and you're in danger of, um, of being in a bubble, where yeah. you're going to see more and more competition coming in. Yep. Any less than that, and you're in danger of going out of business because you're not going to have the the cash reserves, you know, when when things do go go down, uh, to be able to weather those storms. Unfortunately, as a as a service provider, we often get stuck in in sort of this. Uh, as wages grow, you got to pay that. And then, as the you know the the clients are saying, "Whoa, this this thing's getting very expensive. You get pushback from from the other side." And so you you we have to be very conscious of of making sure that that margin is in place and we're not getting to a place of, you know, a spending binge or a hiring binge. Um, and I think that from a hiring standpoint, we're we're always on the lookout for for new talent, but it also helps us make sure that we're not, Hiring people willy-nilly, we're we're hiring people that are going to be a great cultural fit, um, that are going to over deliver, um, that are interested in work life balance, not just maximizing salary or compensation. You know, and from from the other side, um, making sure that we're we're really. Not going towards lowest common denominator in terms of the the customers that we're bringing on, but we're bringing on projects that our team is excited about. again, <laughs> making sure that if that's the value, if you if you're gonna have people coming on board, you need great employees, but you also need great customers. And not every customer is going to be a great customer. You know, some of those things do have to align with with those values. and i and I tell our customers, when they are, you know, sort of figuring out are are we the right vendor, are we the right fit for them, I will tell them they can find, if they're all they're looking for is fingers on keyboards, they can find much cheaper fingers on keyboards. What we provide as our value is the right lines of code being written and a, a collaboration where that where we can really sort out not not just what they might need and what they think they need, but really help get them to a place where where we vet things and get them to what they do need.
0: I think that's well said. I, I love your philosophy on on business and, and culture and, and all that. And I think uh, I'm better for, for having had this discussion, but I, I know our listeners are going to be better for this because I don't know if a lot of business people have this sort of philosophy of, you know, take care of your people and hiring for culture first. And I think you you guys are going to do some great things in, in the next few years and beyond. So I, I appreciate your time, Joaquin. This has been a great discussion. Anything else you want to say about what you're yeah. doing? Yeah.
1: Yeah. The the, the the one thing that I will also say, and this is, this is, I think, critically important for our industry, is not just looking at a business as a standalone unit, but looking at our, our role in the larger ecosystem. And I think that's actually where tech is in many, many cases getting it wrong. I think that it's critically important for tech companies to not, quote-unquote, hire the best, and in in doing that, hire people with 10 years of experience and then isolate them, but look at what are the entry-level positions that we can create within our company that's going to allow and foster mentorship. Uh, between that next generation, because right now, if you have ten years of experience, you've got a job. In fact, you've got six job offers that you could pull the trigger on at any point, and and yet, you look down the the talent pipeline and look at people that have you know zero to one year worth of experience, and there are almost no opportunities. Yeah, and that I think in large part and and sort of the. The perpetuation of of only hiring senior talent is really what we've seen in terms of the dramatic climb in salary and what that does in an environment and in a community when those salaries are drastically out of alignment with what the community is making is, one, you're starving those incumbent workers and keeping them out of this real growth industry, Um, but you are also perpetuating this this ivory tower where... Everything is great there. You've got tons of money. You can you can throw it around. You can buy whatever home you want at whatever price, and yet that that has a, a really negative impact on the surrounding community. So I've, I've to that end, I have started a nonprofit. There's a Portland chapter. Uh, there's a Los Angeles chapter. Um, where the focus really is getting employers together and looking at how you can create entry-level opportunities, what that curriculum looks like, you know, what that model looks like in terms of compensation, sort of getting people past that that prejudice of thinking that the people who are programming are somehow these differentiated individuals, because the difference between a programmer with 10 years of experience and a programmer of zero years of experience. It's 10 years worth of experience, right? It's that simple. But if we don't provide the opportunity to somebody at the very start of their career, they will never have the opportunity to to move into that amazing career. And so it's really, really important that our pipeline at the beginning of somebody's career is the same size as we want to see workers in You know, two years, five years, seven years, 10 years, because there's no other way it's going to happen.
0: Do you find like as a as an owner CEO, do you have a hard time justifying, you know, adding an expense for an entry level position? I, I, I sort of know the answer for you because you have this philosophy around it, but I think most employers probably look at it like, ah, we just can't afford one extra person. But it's an opportunity for a fresh perspective, somebody with zero experience who could grow, right?
1: Well, you know, I would put it like this. It's, yes, people at the start of their career are really just a cost center, but but being a high-level programmer is a lot like being a doctor in terms of a professional service person. You, you do need an education, um, but also it's critically important that you're practicing. And so you can imagine what the medical field would actually look like if we had no interns. Could you imagine that? If people graduated – from medical school, and we said, "Okay, go out and be a doctor, yeah, right. <laughs> and um, and call me when you have ten years worth of experience." I mean, what does open heart surgery look like with with somebody with with zero years worth of experience, right? And and that's the same sort of challenge. And in medicine, they've obviously recognized well shoot we we need to educate the next generation but medicine has a what you know 300 400 year head start they figured this out over time but i'm sure that there was a point at which you know they had this existential crisis and and people who were doctors were aging out and and were you know they had to figure out how to replenish that pool interns in medicine i'm sure are purely a cost center and yet we need to in the pro- programming arena we need to get to that same place where it where it holds the same level of of you know it, it it is existential crisis because right now the majority of programmers let's say they're in their 30s and 40s right play that out for 10 years okay 40s and 50s play that out another 10 years you know play that out another 10 years people are going to retire and then what you know we we have to address it now and 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 the market demand is not going away it's just growing and growing and growing and so it's critically important that we we get ahead of it and we start figuring out how we can not only invest in in people for our pipeline right mm-hmm. from the company standpoint it's it's the stopgap against wages that that get to a place where Only Facebook and Google are are viable places to actually be a programmer, and for the the workers that are out there, anyone can learn to program, right? It's just like literacy. It's it's hard. It takes time, but anyone can do it. Um, Getting to a place where we can integrate incumbent workers and people who might not otherwise have an opportunity to move into this field because there is no other way. And from a diversity standpoint, there is no way that we get away from this you know, young white male bias to a place where we have people throughout the, the ecosystem that are people of color and women unless we create those entry-level opportunities anything else hiring diversity from somewhere else that's a zero-sum
0: game it probably even starts before that too like in schools right where you get diverse people different cultures programming and in the tech space because otherwise I think you are at risk of, of just hiring the same type of person and again putting pressure on those those wages long term I think that's well, not, a big issue
1: yeah not not just not just at risk but you are you are absolutely going to do that. There's yeah. no other way around it. There, people don't pop out uh, as programmers, or you know, and and frankly, the bar in the industry of self education, we can do so much better, and and we have to do so much better.
0: Well said. When are you get into politics, Joaquin. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, goodness. Uh, not not until my kids are, are grown and, and, and out of the house.
0: You, I love it because you got a really fresh perspective on just the economics. You really understand it. So, uh, yeah, you keep up the good work. It's good stuff. All right.
1: Excellent. Thank, thank you, Brandon. Thanks
0: for being part of the podcast, Joaquin. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business Podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.